Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Oh, well, that was pretty good. <laughs> That's not bad. You guys are learning. Yeah, that was great. Wow. Really good. You guys sounded great, too. That was amazing. Amazing. So, good. All right. Oh, okay. I'm so old. All right. Let's get started. We are continuing our series uh, that we started um, a few weeks ago called Chains. And in this series, we've been going through... Romans chapter 8, which again, just such a powerful, powerful chapter talking about uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. And um, as, as we go through this, we, we uh, have been talking about, you know, how that freedom comes in all different ways. Uh, you know, sometimes it's freedom from uh, just the power of sin over our lives. Sometimes it's freedom from legalism. Sometimes it's freedom from uh, guilt and shame that many of us carry around with us for decades sometimes. Um, you know, last week we talked about how those who are uh, living in the Spirit have, um, have been adopted into God's family. We are, the Bible calls us, uh, sons of God. Uh, again, it, that, that term, sons of God, has nothing to do with gender. It's uh, a translation of a word, a Greek word, that referred to a person who was designated to receive the Father's inheritance. And, and so when God calls us, we, you have received adoption as sons, he is saying, uh, not only do I consider you one of my child, I consider you uh, first. You will receive uh, all the inheritance. Uh, the, that, that same scripture that we read last week talks about how we are co-heirs with Christ uh, to uh, uh, receive the inheritance of the kingdom. And, and uh, so not only does God love you, he likes you, he chooses you. He chooses you. And just the freedom when we start seeing ourselves the way God sees us instead of the way we tend to look at ourselves, which is... Uh, a lot of times we're very often very down on ourselves, and you know uh, we we can't. It's hard for us to imagine ourselves living lives in Christ uh, that God would accept us, uh, that a church family would accept us. Well, you know whatever the case may be, and uh, and so we we get really hung up on the way we see ourselves. Now there was a, there was a, a section of scripture right at the end of that passage that we read last week, and if you were paying attention. Uh, you'll notice that I didn't even touch it. I didn't even deal with it at all. And you probably thought I dodged it. And, uh, and I didn't, I was going to deal with it this week. And so it's kind of a, it it was kind of a big statement in in that, um, it's, it throws a big monkey wrench into the whole, um, you know, I don't know, just the idea of us being chosen and blessed and, and, uh, freedom and all this kind of stuff. And so I wanted to start off reading that scripture this morning before we dive into the, the next uh, section. And it goes a little something like this. Let me see here. Um, Romans 8, start with verse 16. This is what we finished off reading last week. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And here's, here's, the, here's the monkey wrench. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay? And so we read that last week and ignored it. And so now I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it this week. Provided you know, you're co-heirs with Christ, you're chosen, you're adopted into the family, you are free in Christ and all this kind of stuff, provided you suffer with him so that you may also be glorified with him. Now, I don't know if you've noticed you know, this, this quality in yourself 
or in maybe you notice it more clearly in other people. Uh, but we tend to uh, not like suffering. Anybody here not like suffering? Um, good. There's like four people that don't like suffering. Okay, so, um, so yeah, we tend to not like suffering. In fact, we, we tend to be kind of uh, spoiled uh, uh, little, you know, man babies and, and woman babies about suffering. Uh, you know, whenever things don't go our way, we tend to get very whiny. Uh, if things really don't go our way, I mean, if we really go through a, a, a sincerely hard situation, you know, something that just breaks our heart or kind of takes the wind out of us, a really hard, hard situation, uh, not only do we get whiny, we, we tend to start, um, you know, shaking our fist at God and, you know, why would you let this, there's this, this kind of sense that comes over. It's like, especially if you're, you're a Christ follower, like I've, I've been following you. Uh, I've been going to church. I've been, uh, you know, serving. I've been giving. I've been, I've been, I've been a, a nicer person. I'm trying to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better neighbor, a better, you know, whatever. And, and we, we tend to think about, you know, God, why would you allow this thing to happen to me when I'm, I'm working so hard to follow you? Now, when, when that scripture that Paul just, you know, wrote, he didn't just write it, but, you know, that he wrote, when he wrote that scripture, he was talking to a group of people who really had a clear understanding of what suffering in, in and for Christ meant. Uh, these were people who, at that period of time in the world, were um, oftentimes meeting in secret. Um, they did not have the freedom of religion that we enjoy today as, as Americans. Um, we're, you know, we're not really that worried this morning. We're, we're, we will praise God. We will call him by the name Jesus. We will read his word out loud. We're not worried about some sort of goon squad busting in and breaking this party up. Um, that's not the case that in, to the group that Paul was writing to. They were uh, in constant fear of being arrested, being beaten, even being uh, murdered, losing their jobs, losing their families. Um, that suffering was very real to them. And by the way, um, we're spoiled here in that it's still very real in this world today. It's just not that real for us here. There are still places around the world, many places around the world, where Christians um, suffer for their faith, for their faith. And we, 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 there's a total disconnect with us in that teaching in, in terms of we don't really get that concept, I think, of suffering for Christ. Um, in fact, a lot of times, I think as Americans, we tend to kind of gloss over those passages and think, uh, you know, I don't know, that really applies to me or, or whatever. But this is what I know, that if we, you know, part of our, our church's mission statement, or our church's mission statement is glory to God, hope to people. Glory, we're going to do everything we can to bring the maximum amount of glory to God and to bring the hope of the gospel to, to everybody we come in contact with. And if our lives as Christ followers are all about bringing God to glory in every situation of our life, uh, in the way we work, in the way we um, worship, in the way we do family, in the way we do friendship, in the way we do relationships, in, in every aspect of our lives, if we are about bringing God the maximum amount of glory, if that's our mission, our call on our lives, then we are to bring glory to God even in the midst of our suffering. Even in, and so it does have a very real impact because this is the fact that if you haven't figured it out by now, um, I'm going to let, let you in on a little something, that uh, you're going to suffer. Every one of you. 
every last one of you are going to suffer in some way. Something's going to happen. For some of you, it might be in some way suffering for your faith. You may have to, I don't know, make some adjustments in your life that are painful or whatever. Um, But for a lot of us, it's just the suffering that comes with life. With life. That death happens. It stinks, but it happens. That horrible, you know, atrocious acts, evil acts happen. Um, lots of stuff happens in this, in this world that causes us suffering. And I think it's a little ridiculous of us to kind of have this attitude that, well, because, you know, I'm, you know, I got me and God got some sort of thing going, I should be exempt from suffering. Um, and, and if you're not in suffering right now, you can see that pretty clearly, right? You can think reasonably about that and go, yeah, that is a little bit uh, ridiculous of me to think that. If we're in the middle of some serious suffering right now, it's not so easy for you to think clearly about it, maybe. But this is the thing. You will, you will suffer. And I want to be a person who will suffer well. I want to be a person who will... By the way, there, um, there's a great passage that, said, that says, uh, don't be surprised when uh, trials come your way. Um, and, and really, when you think about it, you, you have made... If you're a Christ follower in the room today, you've made a commitment to... to um, to take on the message and the ministry of a man who was murdered for his message and ministry. And you're surprised when you suffer. Right? Does that make sense to anybody? Right? Like you are following a guy who because of his message and because of his ministry was killed. And why would you think it would go any different for you? Right? Now, that, that was for free. Okay, so we, um, if you are um, a person, well, you are. You, you're going to suffer. The question is, how are you going to suffer? How are you going to suffer? I want to be a person who suffers well. I want to be a person who, in the middle of whatever suffering comes my way, I'm doing everything I can to make sure God gets the maximum amount of glory in the middle of that suffering. And what I mean by that is that instead of becoming selfish and self-centered and bringing all the focus in on my pain and what I'm going through, I want to do everything I can to turn people's direction and attention towards God in the middle of that suffering. This is exactly what Jesus did uh, in the garden uh, before he was arrested. And he knew, you know, he was getting ready to be arrested. He knew he was getting ready to be beaten and uh, killed on the cross. He knew all of that was coming. And he knew that was the price that needed to be paid so that you and I could have a right relationship with God. And as he's praying in the garden before his arrest, he is uh, just in anguish. He is sweating drops of blood. He's in so much anguish. And he's praying, uh, Father, if, if there's any other way, if you could take this cup from me, um, but then he said, in other words, if, there's, if, if you can think of any other pl- plan to save the world, like, I know it's kind of last minute, but if there's any other plan to save the world, let's, let's do that. But, but then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. In other words, God, I don't want to go through this suffering per se. I'm dreading it. But I submit to you. I submit to you. To you be the glory. You be the glory.
And if we can approach suffering in life in, in, a, in a way that is, it, that is not about us and is about God, that points people to... And guys, I'm not, I'm not suggesting this is easy, by the way. I'm not, like, if, I'm not trying to say, well, if you're a good Christian, this is what you would do. Because I know that there are times in life when the suffering is unbearable. Unbearable. We're going we're gonna to do a, a series um, in uh, October, start a series in October, about the life of a, of a prophet named Elijah. And uh, Elijah reaches a point in his life where he, he literally wanted to die. He literally wanted to die. And we, we, we see other men of God throughout Scripture who, who, who reach a point to where they, they wish that they would die. The pain is so deep that death seems like a better option. And I'm, so I'm not trying to make light of your pain or any future pain. or anything. We, we all have to deal with it eventually. And there are many of you in this room that have been through situations that I couldn't even begin to fathom. I couldn't even begin to fathom. But if you in that situation can still find a way in your pain, in your suffering, to say, um, God, you know what I want in this situation. I want you to show up in, in, in a miraculous way. I want you to take this pain from me. As Jesus said, take this cup from me. I want you, in my point of view, this would be a win if you would show up in this very specific way. But God, you're God, and I'm not. And I submit to you. And whatever your will is, I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. And when you begin to point yourself and point others to God instead of to your own pain, um, that is suffering well. That is suffering well. I'm not suggesting it's easy. I'm just suggesting that that is suffering well. Now, Paul goes on a little further and kind of deals with this. And I want to I hit this because it's so good. So he's just said the whole suffering thing. And then he says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now I'm going to stop right here for just a second because this is a really good, this is a good one. Um, I, I consider that the sufferings of, in other words, I know how you guys are suffering. I, and he knew, he knew all too well. He was being, uh, he was suffering too. He was being beaten and arrested. Uh, he was stoned a few times, not in the Northern California way. He was... Um, I mean, he was like with actual rocks and he was, um, you know, I mean, he was going through massive amounts of, of, of suffering himself. And he said, I consider that the, the trials, the suffering that we're going through at this time are not even worth comparing of the glory that's to come. Not even worth comparing of the glory that's to come. Now, here, here's the deal. I, um, I, when I was reading this week, it, one of the things that made, it made me think of my grandma Myers, my grandma Myers. I love that woman so much, and, and, and she was one of those uh, ladies that I knew was praying for me every day of my life. I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, she was just a godly, godly woman. And whenever we got to go visit my grandma and grandpa Myers, they lived on this, on this big ranch in southeastern Oklahoma. And, um, and we, you know, my grandma was an epic cook. I mean, when we ate at grandma's house, we were going to throw down in some serious ways. And it was just, I loved, even as a young kid, loved meals at my grandma's house. Now, the thing about eating at my grandma's house is it, it, it wasn't cooking like I got at home. Now, my mom's a great cook too, 
but it was just different in that everything that was on that table came from the ground at the Myers Ranch. Okay, my grandpa had a, a, a full acre-sized garden with rows that he planted. I mean, he he was behind the donkey plowing the rows and everything. I used to watch him do that all the time. And 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 but he had a row of everything, and he'd bring it all in every year. My grandma would can it all, and they had a root cellar, the whole thing. I mean, and, and so they would get and then. And then all the meat came from, you know, the cattle that they were raising, the milk too. It was just everything at Grandma Meyer's house was, I mean, they were organic before organic was cool, okay? And, and so, it was, so it was different, very, very good. But like it, when, when I got the plate of food at Grandma Meyer's house, like I, as a city boy, I grew up in Oklahoma City, and I, I was used to like Del Monte green beans out of a can and things like that. And, uh, and so when I got the plate of food at grandma's house, it was like, what, is that dirt on that bean? What is going on with this? You know, there, it was, sometimes it was just different vegetables than I would get on the plate at my own home or whatever. And, and so it was all very prepared greatly. It was all very good. Uh, but sometimes you kind of had to, you know, just force yourself to get it down because it was as a kid, you know, three, four, five-year-old kid, um, you know, are, th- those kids are not normally into uh, you know, fresh from the garden vegetables. They want it bland and they, you know, whatever, and uh, covered in ketchup. And so we, uh, so I would kind of uh, force it down and do that whole thing. And, and uh, but, it, but it was always so good. Again, she's just such a great cook. And then uh, at some point in the meal, after every, the meal, you know, pe- people kind of died down and they're eating, uh, my grandma would get up from the table and begin to collect the dishes, right? And as she would collect the dishes, we would hand her, you know, I'd hand her my plate and my fork and stuff. And she would say something every time, Almost every single time that I was just waiting for her to say, and she would say this, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. Woo! I knew what that meant. It was going to be some cake. It was going to be a pie. It was going to be some ice cream. It was going to be something. Some dessert was on its way, and I had dealt with all this, uh, you know, organic food uh, for, for, you know, as long as I could and crammed it all down. So I could hear that phrase, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. And, and this is what Paul is saying now. I know what you guys have been through. I know the pain that you feel, the loss that you feel. But keep your fork, the best is yet to come. The good stuff is on its way. It is, he, he is going to um, uh, unveil a future glory to you that you cannot even fathom. He even says it cannot even be compared. You have nothing to compare it to. It is so good. You have nothing to even compare it to. Now, when you're in the middle of a hard time, in the middle of suffering, can I just say, if somebody says to you, um, you know, I'm sorry you're going through this, but the good news is you get heaven someday. If you're in the middle of that suffering, you want to punch them in the throat. <laughs> Don't you? You're just like, will you just shut up? Like, ah, oh, I'm a Christian, but I hate you Christians right now. And then, you know, you're just like, you, you just, you just, you, it, it is like, it's not comforting at all to hear that for most of us, you know, unless you're like, uh, you know, unless you're on death's door and maybe you'll find a little comfort in that. You know, I, I always used to say that, you know, the reason they're, you know, older people come to church is because they're cramming for the test. And, uh, you know, they're, they're like, uh, you know, getting, getting ready to, you know, do that. So, so anyway, so, so, but this is the truth. This is the truth. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with age, the truth behind that statement. It has to do with your view of eternity. Because this is what I know about human nature, because I've talked to so many of you who have said very similar statements to this. 
that there are some of you in this room that are actually dreading heaven. <laughs> now, you're not going to raise your hand. I know you're not. I know you're not, but there are some of you in this room that have actually had thoughts. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I really hope I enjoy heaven. I'm not sure if I will. And you've got this idea in your head that somehow heaven is, is you, know, you know, floating around on clouds with, with robes and harps. And you're like, I hate harp music. <laughs> like, like, really? I don't want to play a harp. And, and uh, like, we, I'm just going to tell you that we've had some very intentional conversations at Living Hope that we do not have harp music up here, right? Okay? Like, like um, <laughs> some of you are disappointed. Like, you, just, you guys responded to that like half the room plays the harp. Like, really. There might be a couple of you, but that's about it. So, anyway. But I'm just saying, most people aren't, like, into harp music. And you're thinking, I, I don't want to do that. And, and then there's the whole thing of, well, will I, will I know my wife and will I know my kids? And I, I don't want to go to heaven if I don't, if I don't, you know, if I don't know my husband or what, you know, what, you're, you're thinking all these weird thoughts and I got all, got all this uncertainty and all these questions and you're like, will I, will I even enjoy heaven? And Paul is saying, you, you, there's nothing to even compare it to. There's nothing. It, it's not that it's not you the, the thing is that your, your view of eternity is screwed up. And if you had a clearer view of, of eternity, you would realize that there really is, that what Paul was saying is right, that everything we have to go through here on this earth, it, does, it, doesn't, it can't even be compared to what's in store for us. Keep your fork, the best, the best is yet to come. Now he goes on and he explains that a little bit further and he starts talking about creation. He says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, he, he, starts, he does this kind of discourse on creation and, and groaning and childbirth and that sort of thing. And you know, what's he talking about? He's eagerly waiting for for, uh, you know, these end times and that sort of thing. To get what he's talking about, you really have to understand. See, see, we have this kind of, one of the reasons that we don't look forward to heaven that much is that we, there are a lot of us in this room that feel like we kind of live in heaven right now, right? We kind of, the truth is we live in a fallen world. Now, I have a very clear view of of the fallen world we live in because I'm from Oklahoma. And and I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing beautiful in Oklahoma at all. Um, I always say Oklahoma is a great place to be from. And um, it's just, there's nothing beautiful there. It, it, we live in Northern California where there's just beauty all around us. I mean, you're, you're within an hour or two from, you know, beautiful mountains and oceans and Yosemite and, and redwoods. And I mean, j- there's just beauty all around us. And even the farmland and everything, it's just, it's just all so beautiful. And in Oklahoma, that's just not the case. In fact, I was out hiking with my brother last fall. Uh, we were in El Dorado and... and um, we hike back into the mountains and we're back at this little waterfall. It's a smallish waterfall. It's, you know, 10, 12 feet high or something. And, uh, but it's just beautiful and peaceful back there. And, um, but it's not, on, I've never found that waterfall on any map. I've looked at maps of California waterfalls. It's not on any map that I've found. I just know that it's back there. And I love going back to it. And, um, and I was joking around with my brother. I said, it's funny that, you know, this waterfall is here 
And it's not even worth putting on a map in this state. But if it was in Oklahoma, it would be on the cover of the tourist brochure, right? It would just be, it would, it would, it would make the cover because it's just that beautiful, right? And so we are spoiled here in terms of, I think a lot of times we feel like we live in heaven, not just in terms of the physical beauty, but in our comfort level in the way we live and, you know, things like that. And we have air conditioning sometimes and, um, and, you know, things, things like that. And it's just, we, it's almost like heaven to us here. And so it's hard for us to get a clear view of heaven. But what, what Paul is telling us about creation is that you need to know that you live in a fallen world, that when sin came into this world, everything broke, not just in us, excuse me, in us, but in the entire creation, that everything is broken now. The way this world does not exist in the way that God originally created. It is a broken creation. And again, for us to, um, to experience the beauty around us that we experience, like you go to Yosemite and you stand there and you're looking up at Half Dome and you're like, that is, just, that is amazing. It's just staggering the beauty of that rock. And although I think God's looking down at us, chuckling, going, you should have seen it when it was whole dome. <laughs> right? It was, it is, you're, you're, you're marveling over a busted up rock. Over a busted up rock. We stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and we're just, we're just you know, our jaws just drop. But everything, everything about this planet is broken. Everything. But there's coming a day when God is going to do something. Well, let me read the rest of this. Hold on. So that's the creation. And then he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he's like, even the busted up, like we're falling apart too, right? Like, like, I don't know if you know this, but you're falling apart. Like the rest of us have noticed, you may not have noticed, but, but we've, we're, we're, we're falling apart. And, um, like I, I turned, I'm 41 now, turned 40 last year. And like, um, wow, that's a whole different game. And, um, like just stuff is just, it's not, it's not right. It's not right that I have to live in this body anymore. It's just, it's not fair. And, um, and it's just, it's just jacked up. I got more hair in my nose than on my head. And, um, and, and I have to go to the bathroom like all the time. And, um, and I, I won't go any further, but it, it's just, it's just, we're, we're just, we're just, I mean, we, we start dying from the moment we're born and we are, we're, we're falling apart. And, and, but there's this coming this day when not only with all of creation, not only with our human nature, but with our physical bodies, with everything that God ever created, there's coming this day when God's going to do a total reboot. And when he does that, and he, you know, he holds down the power button for 10 seconds and then releases, or for those of you, you know, control all delete or whatever. When he does that, everything will be set back to the way that he originally created it. And the beauty and the grandeur of that creation is something that, as Paul said, you have nothing to even compare it to. Nothing to even compare it to. It's not harps and robes and clouds. It's just 
perfection the way God intended it all along. We will finally, this earth will finally be the gift for us that God meant for it to be for us. Our bodies will finally be the gift for us that God meant them to be for us. Our natures will finally be truly in the image of God. That when we, we talked about a couple weeks ago that we are being transported from one degree of glory to the next until that final consummation of eternity. That, that transformation of glory that happens in us is coming in such a powerful way that you, you, can't, you don't even know what, how, to, how to compare it. But Paul brings all this up because this is what he knows is that when we go through these times of suffering, these really hard times in our life, there's this thing that happens in us that makes us want to throw in the towel and give up. There's this thing that happens in us this, that, that, that something, you know, we get angry at God. We start to doubt his existence because surely if God loved me, nothing bad would ever happen to me. And we start to doubt God. We start to question God. We start to abandon our faith through these hardships. And Paul is saying, well, this is what he says, actually. Look at this. He just talked about the redemption of our bodies, and he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And what he's saying is this. Don't give up hope. Hold on to your fork. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. There's, I put this formula up here. Go ahead and put it on the, up on the screen. That the Holy Spirit plus hope equals joy. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives plus us exercising a little bit of hope in the saving power of Jesus Christ, the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work plus the, our hope equals this joy that takes place in our lives that we can't even really truly grasp and understand. That even in, for the life of the believer, that even in the face of the hardest times of your life, there can still be some deep-seated joy that we can't even hardly comprehend. Uh, the Bible refers to it as, as joy unspeakable or, or a peace that passes understanding that, that the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, life produces that if we just not give up hope. I talk to people on a fairly regular basis that are just right there on the brink of giving up hope, right there on the brink of, of, of just throwing in the towel and saying, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't think I believe in God anymore. Whatever it is, they're just right there. And, and Paul's message to us this morning is don't give up hope. God is still at work around you. God is still at work in you. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Peter, in one of his letters, said it this way. This is so good. This is First Peter chapter 1. And this is right after he said that we have this living hope uh, so that, uh, you know, through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's where we got the name of our church, this living hope. And, and then you go down a couple, couple more verses to verse 6. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In other words, so, you know, I, you're, you're going to rejoice, but I know even though you're going through some hard times, these hard times, these trials, so that, you, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you go through those hard times, it tests your faith. It proves your faith. It strengthens your faith. That it's actually, again, God taking the worst parts of our life at times and working them together for our good. And you may think, well, well what kind of God is out there just you know, slamming me with hard times, uh, that just seems kind of cruel, you know, just so he can make me stronger or whatever. But then, then we're all cruel parents. If you're a parent in the room, we all do this. We do the exact same thing with our own kids. You force your kids at times, uh, allow your kids at times to go through uh, difficult things for them, things that stretch them, um, that they're not used to. Why? Because when they go through those times, and sometimes they go through it kicking and screaming and crying, and why you're, you're mean and I hate you and all this kind of stuff. And then when they do it, all of a sudden they have a newfound faith in themselves and in what they can do. They have a newfound faith in you that your word was true. They have a newfound, um, you know, just, just this, they become stronger as individuals. They become uh, able to grow up and mature and things like that. And it's the same with God. It's not that God is constantly like, I'm going to break him this time. No, it's that he, uh, he, he takes the, the natural punches that life throws at us, whether it's a death or a difficulty or a, um, you know, a, an illness or, or whatever, you know, a hundred other things that it could be that, that makes life stink at times. He takes those natural things and he allows us to go through them. And through the process, he teaches us to be stronger and make us more from one degree of glory to the next, more into him, his image. And while we're the, the whole time like bucking him and saying, saying, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. And we're, we're, we're that kid kicking and screaming and crying. And I hate you. And why are you doing this to me? And, and, and all this kind of stuff is not fair. God knows if you'll just do it. As parents, don't you look at your kids when they're doing that sometimes? And you, you, you really, you kind of want to just laugh out loud at them and kind of point at them and make fun of them. Because, because, it, it, because they act ridiculous sometimes. It's like if you would just do this, you will see like... It's so much better on the other side if you'll just give in and you'll just trust me in this. If you'll just trust me in this. And God, very much the same way, in a much more loving way than I am as a parent, will, will, will look at us and say, just trust me through this situation. I know it's hard. I know it scares you. I know whatever else. But trust me, on the other side of this, you're going to see you're stronger. You're going to see that you grow. You become more like me. More like me. God is... He's just beautiful that way. Peter finishes up this passage and he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love that phrase. Though, though you haven't seen him, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, though you haven't seen him, you love him. This is the thing that the rest of the world looks in at us as Christians and they're like, they just don't get it. Don't get it. How can you express so much emotion? How can you be so sure? How can it be so real to you when it's so obvious to the rest of us that there's nothing there? You can't see it. You can't prove it. How can, I mean, how can... They do. They look at us when we are, when we're worshiping with emotion, when we're, when we talk with emotion about our relationship with Christ, our love for Jesus Christ. Like, how is, how is that even possible? It's like, it's like you know, like he's, he's your imaginary friend or something. But for the life of the believer, 
but you haven't seen him? You love him. You believe in him. He's there because this is the sometimes hard but beautiful thing about faith. First of all, they don't call it faith for nothing. And there's so much about our faith that only becomes clear after a step of faith has been taken. That only do we gain our sight for things after we take a step of faith. After we take a step of faith. And then, through the Holy Spirit's work in our life, through sometimes even miraculous things that happen in our life, God becomes crystal clear to us. Crystal clear. When you, now, you, you take yourself out of those spiritually strong situations and back into a situation where you're going through trials and suffering or whatever else. Sometimes it's not so clear. Sometimes it's, it's, it's tempting to doubt again. Paul, Paul says, hold out hope. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Don't do it. The best is yet to come. We haven't even got to the good stuff yet. <laughs> That's the other way you guys have fooled yourself. You fooled yourself into believing that, you know, when I decided to follow Christ and, and I, you know, I got my sins forgiven and that sort of thing, that that was the good stuff. That's, not, that's just the beginning of the good stuff. There's so much more good stuff to come. That we will reign with Christ one day. We will reign with him in a world that is totally set back to the way God intended it to. In bodies that are totally set back to the way God intended them to be. With minds and hearts totally set back to the way God intended them to be. That is worth holding out hope for. That's worth holding out hope for. God has not abandoned you. He loves you. He strengthens you through hard times. And yes, there will be times. There was a guy, um, there was a deacon at a church I served at years ago. And um, he had lost a son about 10 years before I got to that church. And I think it was in an auto accident or something. And... Um, but this guy was a godly man. I mean, in my, in my mind, one of those guys I would just put up on a pedestal almost and just, I mean, just a hero of the faith in my head, you know, just a godly, godly man in every sense of the word. Humble and meek and, and, and yet strong in character and, you know, just, just a great guy. We were working on a project around the church one day and, and uh, just him and I, and I didn't know his son and I was just curious. Uh, you know, I wanted to get to know more about this, you know, son of his that I never had got to know. And I was asking him, you know, just questions about him. And I said, you know, when your son died, what did that do to your faith? And this, one of the godliest men I've ever known, looks at me and he says, um, if I would have met God in a dark alley, I would have beat the crap out of him. He's like, the, just the pain, the anger, everything I felt was just overwhelming. But, he, but then he began to talk about how in the midst of all of that, that he felt the Holy Spirit minister to him and give him that peace and that joy in circumstances where he shouldn't even be feeling it. The security, the everything that he needed. He's like, the Holy Spirit came to me and ministered to me in ways that is, are, are even hard for me to express, in ways that I'm the only one that will ever know. God, through our worst times, is not abandoning us. He's right there with us. He sustains us. He carries us through. He strengthens us. He makes us into people from one degree of glory to the next, more like him. 
more like him if we won't lose hope. If we won't lose hope. So if you're in the room today, and you are, (laughs) if you're here today and you maybe came into this room today as, as one of those people I talked about earlier, just on the brink of giving up. Like you're going through a situation, a painful situation that is just, it's almost unbearable to you. And maybe it is, like I said, any number of things from illness to death to loss of work to loss of income to strained relationships to, you know, destroyed relationships, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's, it's just been so painful for you that you can hardly bear it. And you're right there thinking, I don't, I'm not even sure God exists because how could he let me go through this if he really loves me? Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life that he does all the time. And don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Hold on to your fork. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And your word to us is good. And we are so... <coughs> Grateful that you don't give up on us, even when we're tempted to give up on you. Um, God, we stand here as weak, flawed individuals who will readily admit that we would never choose pain and suffering for ourselves. We would always choose the easy way out, the easy course. Um, But we also sit here and we we recognize that you you are God and we're not. And the things that you allow us to go through, you see the bigger picture and you see uh, how they can be good, how they can bring you glory. God, help us to be a people who, even in the hardest of times, as, as we would in the best of times, point people to you and do everything, even in, the, in our suffering, to suffer well and bring you glory. Help us to be that kind of person. God, if there's anybody in the room today that is uh, on the brink of giving up, God, they have been so discouraged. They have been so overwhelmed by pain, by mourning, by, by whatever, insecurity. God, would your Holy Spirit just minister to them right now in this moment. Speak peace and joy into their lives. Give them that joy unspeakable and that peace that passes understanding. Just speak to them right now. Let them know that you are real and you are here. You are in them. You are for them. That you haven't abandoned them or given up on them. God, for those in the room right now that are unsure of whether or not they should even begin a relationship with you, God, the same prayer. Would you just have your Holy Spirit speak to them right now and let them know, let them feel your love, let them feel your embrace, your acceptance, your invitation into that relationship with you. Let them know that they don't have to clean themselves up and get all good and and perfect for you before they can be in a relationship with you, God, but that you accept them just the way that you are and that you'll spend the rest of their lives from one degree of glory to the next, transforming them into your image. Just like you have the rest of us. Right now, if, if you're that Christ follower who has, um, who has been feeling a little lacking in the hope department lately, would you just, 
exercise in faith a little hope right now? Would you just pray to God and let him know, God, I submit to you in this, even though it's not the course I would have chosen, I submit to you in this. And in whatever way, whether through a miracle or through my suffering, God, bring yourself the most glory you can bring yourself through me. Just pray that prayer right now. If you're here and you, um, God is, is, is drawing you into a relationship with him this morning, simply right where you sit, just pray, God, I want to follow you. I Forgive me for the way I've failed you, for the way I've sinned against you in the past. Lead me in this relationship with you, God. I'm not perfect. I will fail again. But your word promises me that you will always forgive me. Transform me into the person that you want me to be. I submit myself to you. I give myself to you. I'm yours. You alone are God. You alone are worthy of my praise. Father God, you are so good. And um, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your the work, the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Continue to work on us. Continue to make us into the people that you need for us to be. And um, we look forward to the day when we get to experience you in all your glory, in us and this world in all of its glory. And uh, we pray um, that you would come, come quickly. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.